Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Okay, I'm delighted to welcome Volker Bertelman, a.k.a. Hauschka. Welcome to Headliner Radio, Volker. Well, thank you so much for having me. some people know you as Hauschka, the prepared piano solo artist, and then some will know, of course, you know, Oscar-nominated film composer doing films like Lion, mm-hmm. um, more recently, The Old Guard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of introducing you, so you, did you grow up, grew up in Northwest Germany, I understand? Yeah, I, I grew up in a very, like, remote forest area uh, near Düsseldorf or Cologne, um, you know, Cologne and Düsseldorf are very close, uh, like 20 minutes away with a car. Mm. So, and uh, the area where I grew up was mo- mainly a forest area where you had a lot of like valleys and, uh, you know, medium high mountains in a way. But we had a lot of snow when I was uh, a kid and I was driving ski already in the age of four. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was all, all around winter and, uh, not suffering, but it was, I mean, the whole, the whole area was very uh, rough in a way. You know? And did you, you flirted with studying medicine and economics at university, I understand as well at one point. Yeah, yeah, I studied, I was actually starting to study medicine uh, right after school. And um, after, um, I would say I was already halfway through and then I got asked to support uh, a hip hop band in Germany, and then you know, I, I got, I drifted away <laughs> from mm. from the studies. But in a way, because my family is a very, I would say, more traditional family, they always felt that uh, music is not the right, um, is not the right choice in a way to to earn money. Yes, I got that impression because you discovered the piano in church. We sounds like you were church going family, yeah. and then obviously sounds like you were feeling the need to get a quote-unquote real job. But, um, well, thank goodness you did pursue music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so thank goodness that I, in a way, could escape the, the countryside for a while. Yeah. Um, and so you stayed in that part of Germany then? Yeah. No, I, I stayed, well, uh, first of all, I was, uh, until 20, I was in, you know, in my home village. And then I disappeared to Cologne and um, then to Dusseldorf, which is all in an area of one and a half hours. And uh, yeah, that that's mainly it. So I mostly stayed in, in the area here. Yeah. How is Dusseldorf for music then? Because I suppose a lot of people just assume you're based in Berlin, perhaps, maybe. Yeah, of course. But Berlin is, uh, um, I would say, an uh, overvalued place mm. in the sense of creativity. I mean, you have that in a lot of places in big cities that a lot of creative influences coming from the countryside or outside and they whenever it's strong enough they move to the big centers in a way um and in germany it's uh, i would say the rhine area cologne and dusseldorf is a 
was always always a very vivid um, area for music, but also for for art. So they, we have a, there were a lot of painters and um, you know photographers. Um, Düsseldorf has the Joseph Beuys Academy, where a lot of uh, you know great artists were studying. Um, and so for me, the city here has a lot of connection to art people and uh, it's not only music and i really love mm. this combination yeah of course so before you were volker bertelman the film composer um i'd love to know how was hauschkeborn and yeah what brought in particular what brought you to the prepared piano that you're very well known for well i mean the, the name came from the idea of detaching the piano performance a little bit from my name and not being a solo pianist in the sense of the traditional solo pianist i wanted to be a, a kind of one-man band and where nobody really knows what gender i have and uh, you know that it's a little bit undefined when you read hauschka is coming to town that you think maybe it's five people mm. or it's a woman um, and uh, so i wanted to be a little bit uh, undefined um, and when i started the first record I recorded uh, that in Wales in the Brecon Beacons, um, and uh, when I played, uh, and that was nearly unprepared. I, um, it, the record was called Substantial because I named it after you know the substantial step for me to make a record with my own instrument. In a way, I was always afraid of. Uh, um, you know, actually making a piano record in the beginning because I felt maybe I'm not, you know, I can't really fulfill the expectations when it comes to solo piano records. So when I recorded in Wales, um, I and in one piece I put my fingers on the strings um, and I used some like, uh, you know, like plastic foil to... Um, that I put between the hammers and the strings. And suddenly I realized that it's really nice to actually create sound on top of the strings. And uh, I felt like that this is maybe the idea of doing electronic music with an acoustic piano or with an acoustic instrument. And uh, mm. so I slowly developed a kind of method that I can use different preparations on different strings. And so it, it was growing from there on. Right. How come? Yeah. How come it was recorded in Wales? Obviously, a beautiful country, but might seem a bit random for a German guy to be going to Wales, perhaps. Well, I, I had a, a, a friend um, who recorded my very first hip hop album. His name is Adam Fust, and he was a producer, and he still is. Um, and he had this, you know, his studio when we met each other the first time that he was recording mostly. In London, so my first record I recorded at the Roundhouse Studios in London, um, when there was a studio still, um, and uh, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. That was 1993 or 1994, mm. um, and then that record was released. I we got dropped from the record deal, and because we were not, I think we were in the charts in 120, and we didn't hit the 100, so the record company. Uh, you know, throwed us out. So we, uh, that was my first in a way depression in, in the music mm -hmm. business because I really felt, uh, it doesn't make sense so much. So I detached myself from the, from the main major 
record business and I, I was looking for some more independent, smaller labels. And, and then I uh, called uh, Adam and said, if I can record um, maybe uh, like my album in his studio. And he said he moved from London to Wales and he has um, his studio was in the highest mountain. I think it's called the Upper Gavani. It's a kind of water um, water reservoir area, um, you know, in the Bracken Beacons. Um, and it was really, really nice because it was so remote. There was hardly no one there. And I remember in the winter, it was very hard to get there. Um, and I loved it because it gave me a lot of freedom. So, and I get, went there a couple of times to record albums. Yeah, so you'd sort of played around with doing rock bands and hip hop by the sounds of it before you... And obviously you have a classical background, so is it sort of coming back to your classical training? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I haven't studied or I, I was just, I just had a classical piano teacher for a long time. And uh, in a way, I saw the classical piano lessons uh, for me to get the, the ability to play um, technically um, very well. Um, but my, I remember when I was 12, I had already the first band where I was listening to, you know, all sorts of pop bands. And I had a little tape recorder on my knees and I was always listening to their chords that they were playing. And I tried to try to copy what they were playing. So in a way with 12, I was already playing along with, with rock bands in a way. You know, I remember I also had a, a Moog synthesizer at that time. Oh, cool. I bought uh, from, you know, all my Christmas and all my birthday presents, I collected the money and then I bought a, a, a MOOC Prodigy, which was a very small um, monophonic synthesizer. And whenever I was sick, I had this, um, I put a vinyl on the record player. And I remember one, uh, w once I was, uh, I had some fever and I had this MOOC synthesizer on my knees and I had a Leslie um, speaker in my back in the in the room that had a lot of bass and i played along with uh jeff wayne's war of the Worlds soundtrack <laughs> so oh, wow. so I, and it was very, very nice i i was sometimes uh, you know spending hours and hours just to figure out how i can make sounds in that time mm. can you pinpoint where the inspiration start putting like random objects on your piano strings and do the whole prepare piano thing where did that come from well, I think it's, it comes a little bit from the, um, between my band time and the, the, the Hauschka time where I started the piano records. I was doing a lot of electronic, uh, music and I was, um, I released a couple of very small indie records with, you know, with pure electronic elements where I used, um, synthesizers, um, tape recorders. I, I, I used a lot of um, elements or gear to manipulate the, the sound. And uh, when I started the piano uh, record, I really missed the, whatever the, the noisy bits and pieces that electronic music in a way create. Like the, I, I always thought it was the touch or a kind of another, another layer on top of the music um it was a, i remember the first piano pieces i i did without preparations i actually added restaurant noises to the piano playing to get a little bit of the feeling that i'm sitting in a room when you listen to the you know to the recordings 
And I was not really uh, keen of getting a pure classical upper, you know, like a, like a high um, resolution recording. I was much more lo-fi in a way, and I really loved that. And um, I think from finding the preparations made me independent from any kind of technical gear. So I could actually, I felt suddenly, oh, I can play that then like, a little bit like electronic music, even in a radio show where they have no, where I haven't, I have not my equipment. I can just go there. If they have a piano, I can take a bag full of trash and I can start, you know, working. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. It's interesting. You have a slight electronic background. So, um, last night I was watching your boiler room Mm-hmm. live set um which go, if if someone like those guys would be interested in having you it shows there's this very strong overlap between the kind of quote unquote neoclassical world and um the world of electronic music i suppose yeah i think i mean all the um you know all the protagonists that play there have in a way as well a, a much more you know independent or electronic um, background they, they love music with djs um, and stuff like that so i think and there is a lot of like i think maybe it's also the repetitive element in the music um yeah which was already you know with steve reich and philip glass and the minimal uh, um, composers uh, in a way there was already this uh, connection to um, to to techno or to um, you know dance music in a way Mm. See, I really get the impression it was a very long journey of, you know, working out different genres and finding out what it was that worked for you mm-hmm. as an artist. Almost 10 years or so, it feels like. Well, it, it took them even longer. I would say, um, you know, from the imagination or the, the, the wish of being a musician until I found really what I want to do without having the, the you know, without knowing if that is enough for uh, having that as a profession, because I think that's always also a difficulty that when you start being a musician, of course you have to work, you know, you have to make some money and you don't, in the beginning, you don't know if your, um, you know, your ability of making music is enough or if you have, uh, if you are in the right circles to, to live from that. So, I would say once I found out that this, like Hauschka is in a way the music that I really want to do, suddenly I realized that there was a lot of feedback and a lot of, uh, like, people wanted, like, pushed me to continue in a way. And that was really, really, uh, um, I really loved that feeling, just so to know that I'm enough as a, with my idea um, that people are asking for more. Absolutely. Would you advise that to other musicians that you have to go through that whole journey and process of finding your sound and what works? And yeah, absolutely. I think, absolutely. I, I think even um, I would go further. Um, you really have to um, find, in a way, the the real purpose of your music making. A lot of the ideas that you have in mind are, you know, are sometimes just ideas that you copy from others but you're not made for for this idea let's say for example being a front man of a band or you know that's not for everyone uh, the case there are some people that have the energy and the the charisma 
and others have actually maybe more the ability to write being writers or um you know just being producers and in a way today a lot of people are everything in one um which i th sometimes feel where i feel it uh, sometimes it doesn't work let's say you you hear a, a fantastic song but then you see somebody appearing on stage and you're like i don't know <laughs> I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. if that is a if it's more a studio project or something, you know. So yeah. uh, I think it's important to find your your strength and where you where you feel comfortable. Yeah, I just feel we maybe suffer from a slight immediacy culture where people just want to get a song on TikTok, one of these apps, and they think they've made it. I think it's so important to look at someone like your biography and realize, you know, some people call it the ten thousand hours rule whatever you want to call it but you really do have to um fine tune it shall we say <laughs> yeah you have to also you i mean you have to also struggle i mean it's uh, even though it sounds uh, maybe a little bit uh, masochistic but uh, mm. <laughs> uh it's it's important to um well to to uh, f you know to have barriers in your uh, on your way and you just feel like oh no i can't this is impossible or you have some experience where you just think i don't want to do this uh, until the end of my life so in a way to find um you know to to walk sidewalks and find a way to your way where you want to go i think that's very important because you learn a lot of lessons and i think in my on my um journey i was going back and forth and back and forth and then i've you know starting with um the idea of my parents that I should be a doctor <laughs> and um, yeah. you know, being in the end, a guy that does, I would say more weird piano music um, and, um, and, you know, making a living out of that. That's like something I couldn't imagine when I was after school, imagining what job I want to do at some point. No, absolutely. Amazing. Um, so fast forwarding a few records, you then signed with Fat Cat Records or their mm -hmm. imprint. If I, is it one three zero seven zero one? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do, you know, do you know the story behind that name by any chance? I've always wondered. I think it's actually the day when they started the label. Oh, I see. On the thirteenth of July uh, in two thousand and one. Yeah. Um, was Salon des Amateurs? Was that your first album? Yeah, on that label. Yeah, that was the first album on that label, and that was dedicated to the club in Düsseldorf called the Salon des Amateurs, which oh, still wow. exists. And um, you know, yeah, I wanted to do a, a dance album in a way um, with that record, uh, like in the style of a prepared piano. Mm, yeah, that was the first one, and um, I loved uh, to work with Dave Howell, who was running the label at that time. Um, he was in a way the the guy that really uh, somehow felt, uh, you know, was very supportive, and he was really somebody who um, picked me and Dustin and Johan Johansson for for the label, and we were all at that time we felt like yeah we are a part of something, and Max Richter was already there, so we were in a way, um, and we still, I mean, besides Johan, of course. Um, uh, we have with uh, everyone has still a very strong connection with each other, and we we you know we see each other every now and then and or call each other. So, mm. 
Yeah, I've completely forgot Max Richter was on that label as well. That's, yeah. It seems crazy. Yeah. No, um, he's on Deutsche Grammophon, I believe. Yeah, he's now on Deutsche Grammophon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was going to say, well, firstly, it feels like you have a, you've had quite a strong connection to the UK throughout your career recording in Wales and the Roundhouse. and Yeah. Um, Fat Cat are based in Brighton, I believe. Uh, Fat Cat is uh, based in Brighton, and I'm. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've uh, you know I loved to be in England. All the and I'm still loving to come over, and uh, I love the people there. I love the way uh, you know the living. Uh, you know, I love the the diversity. Um, I loved driving with the train from London to Wales to Cardiff. Mm. It was a wonderful journey because you go through all these cities and. Uh, People jump, hop on and hop off, and you have all sorts of, you know, people uh, from diverse, diverse social um, background, and uh, you sit suddenly, uh, you know, in, on the table with someone. And especially when you are in a foreign country, it's uh, it's wonderful because you your normal um, behavior or your normal um, um, how you judge things is not working. <laughs> You know, you're, you're in a way insecure about uh, who is who, what is what, and uh, and I love that. And so over the years, I, you know, I always love to come over and, and as yeah. I'm still doing. Oh, that's lovely to hear. Um, I would describe, well, to me, it feels like Salon des Amateurs was the sort of breakthrough moment, or at least it's when I became aware of you and as an artist. Would, would you agree? Did that feel that way to you or? Yeah, I mean, Salon des Amateurs, I mean, with Fat Cat, uh, I got to, uh, because also of the size of the label, I got to a higher, you know, uh, like acknowledgement or more, I got more acknowledgement from people all over the world. And uh, we start to, started touring at that time. Um, it was my first US tour that I could do with them because they also had a US office. Uh, things became easier with them because they were, um, of course, they were internationally more connected um, than even the, the German label I released my first records on, Karaoke Kalk, was actually the first label that was willing to sign me. I mean, you know, when I sent out the, re- the first piano record, nobody was interested. I mean, they were all like, uh, no, what is that? Very slow piano music. Uh, it feels like uh, you know it's very boring or whatever. So you got you got a lot of. Uh, it was not like you sent the record out and everybody was like, "Yes, yes, we want to have you." <laughs> um, so, in a way, that felt pretty uh, um, you know strange uh, in the beginning. And uh, the small label was the first one that and uh, that was Cologne based, but they also had an international distribution, and I think. Through that, um, Fat Cat was starting to, uh, you know, to get the knowledge about what I'm doing, and uh, and then uh, I remember I met Max Richter uh, at a f- I organized a festival in Düsseldorf, um, and I invited all the guys that uh, were compared with me, like Johan, Max, uh, Dustin, uh, Gonzalez. Uh, so w- there was a festival with seven pianists. And um, it was the first edition. And then uh, on that festival, I talked. I was talking to Max, and I said, um, "I would love to get released, uh, or would love to release a record on Fat Cat." And then I think he, well, he helped me um, talking to the guys over there, and then we had a meeting. And so, 
Wow. So you you just happened to kind of invite the guys who were on Fat Cat. Yeah, I invited the guys on Fat Cat, but also guys. Sylvain Chavot was also on Fat Cat. He was also part of my festival. In a way, I felt like I can't see them all at the same time. And I wanted to know what they are doing, you know, because people were writing, yeah, Hauschka sounds a little bit like Sylvain Chavot, or he sounds a little bit like Max Richter in certain parts. And um, by calling them or inviting them, I had the. You know, and, and the festival was paid by, uh, you know, by selling drinks. <laughs> yeah. So we had no, I had no financial support. I just found a, the club, which was mm. actually the Salon des Amateurs. And we put a grand piano in there. And then we, I asked the guys to come over. Amazing. And did you mention Chile Gonzalez as well? Yeah. 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 He was there. Yeah. I mean, if that can't happen now, that would be really five star and, I think the ticket prices would be fairly high. But, yeah, um, yeah, they would, they would be fairly high. Uh, and it would be also quite a diverse uh, concert because in a way, I think all the guys that were, at, I would say, in that area, um, you know, starting uh, in a way playing piano or releasing piano records on independent labels, they all had their own character in a way. They, they there's a still, and th- that still is there. I mean, uh, you know, the, every pianist at that time had his own little niche. Yeah, absolutely. So, is this when you met Dustin? Uh, yeah, well, I met um, Dustin earlier um, at a concert in uh, in Italy. Uh, he was living there at that time, and yeah. I was. Uh, I was, he was working on a film score for Marie Antoinette. Um, right. And uh, so I was, um, he came to the concert and he wanted to ask me about prepared piano and, um, you know, how it, how it works because he, he wanted to use some prepared piano sounds in the score. So we met each other and I said, um, you know, I opened him all the, the box of all my tricks. I was at that time, I was thinking it doesn't really matter mm. if people, you know, I, otherwise I have to invite a security <laughs> to, to protect yeah. the, the piano. So, um, and then afterwards he said, man, when I heard you playing at the concert, I was a little bit impressed by the variety, how you play it. And so I skipped the idea. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So I was, I was happy about that. Mm. So I keep saying, Dustin, for the listeners at home, we're talking about Dustin O'Halloran, who's um, solo composer in his own right. He's also known for A Winged Victory for the, for the Sun. Yeah. Um, and of course, he's worked on several films of yourself. Now, I mean, when you guys met, did you get a sense that you'd go on to collaborate so fruitfully together? Well, not well, not on that day, but uh, I mean, we sense that we will have a long friendship and we still okay, have the... And then that I got asked, I got asked on a tour in Australia in Melbourne by the director Garth Davis uh, if I would be interested in doing the music for his film, but he would be interested in in my music for the first half, and he has a second composer for the second half. And I said, oh, I'm not interested in working with another composer. It's like. You know, it's like, uh, that's very difficult anyways uh, to make a film score and having somebody else on board is always makes it even more complicated. And, um, 
but I said, why can you let me know who it is? Because maybe it's somebody where I'm, I'm rethinking my, uh, my opinion. And, uh, he said, um, well, it's Dustin O'Halloran. And I said, okay, well, that's a different thing because I mean, first of all, I, I like him a lot. And secondly, he was already, I mean, he was at my marriage. I know him 10 years. Uh, he's, he has no, like, he's not an egoistic person at all, which I'm, I hope I'm not as well. So in a way, um, it's important when you do a work together as a collaborator, of course, you need a strong attitude in terms of your art, but at the same time, you also have to detach yourself from your ego, um, to, to make things happen, you know? And so with him, it was very, it was totally possible to detach myself and also him and we just shared everything. And, uh, I mean, I was, um, sending him sometimes piano pieces, then he was taking that and worked on it. And there was never the, the feeling like, um, Oh, this is mine or this is mine. It was pretty easily handled. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So just to conclude the kind of Hauschka part of the interview. So I just wanted to say on a personal note, when I heard Salon des Amateurs, mm -hmm. This is when I just started discovering Oliver Arnold's Nils Fram and, um, of course, Dustin O'Halloran. Um, so I was really drawn to the very minimal, elegant piano. So I really wasn't ready for your record at that time. But since then, I've really got into it, particularly in the last few weeks. Um, yeah, such a brilliant album that I hope people will listen to. So that's recently had its 10-year anniversary, I suppose, as well. Did you get to celebrate that at all? Um, no. <laughs> no because i mean honestly i'm i'm a person that in a way makes uh, you know i'm in the mostly trying to be in the year and now uh, yeah. and there's for me not it of course i'm i'm happy about uh, you know the success and the feedback and people that are loving my albums and i, I of course know that my music is not so easy to digest in some areas, not in all the areas, but some areas. So the, the people that were always reacting to me were also people that were looking for something that is not, you know, the, you know, that is not too emotional, that has a little bit of an artistic approach, maybe a little bit more of a, of abstraction than the melodic idea. And a lot of times these people were sticking with, they were staying with me as fans um very strongly um and that was for me always very nice because i felt uh, it's better to have a like a smaller group of people that really love what you're doing and waiting for the next thing than i'm trying to you know juggle my way and make things more and more commercial in a way so um but that also means you have to sometimes you know, make steps where you might lose as well people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. In terms of film, have you been approached by any directors or people who've heard that record and thought and really wanted that particular sound of the prepared piano? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, since I would say, of course, before lion, there were a few, um, but, uh, after Lion, I mean, the, the, the amount of films that I'm doing, um, has increased in a way. And I'm also not because I'm not doing this because suddenly everybody was, or a lot of people were asking for it. 
I also had the feeling it gives me a lot of freedom in a way that I can work on film scores. I can step back from my records a little bit. Uh, I can get a new idea of um, what I want to do next. Um, you know, I can even just work on films and be at home. I don't have to travel. So there was a lot of advantages of doing that. And um, of course, a lot of uh, people that asked me if I can do the music for their film were either at a concert or they had records of mine. And of, of course, also the Salon des Amateurs record. Interestingly enough, once we get then in conversation um, about the film and I sent them a lot of prepared piano tracks, they find out that the music itself, just pure prepared piano, is not the solution. You know, <laughs> it needs a lot of more variety to actually create uh a score you can have here and there some elements in there but um the the it always sounds a little bit that there is some noise or like uh, an animal running through the <laughs> through the picture yeah <laughs> and you're like oh what is that that doesn't fit and then i'm yeah that's uh whatever beer bottle caps in the piano that yeah. i'm throwing in there yeah but we don't want to have that <laughs> so. yeah it'll probably pull you out of the film somewhat with all that yeah, somebody yeah. likes to. Uh, I remember there was a there's a funny story about I think Mouse on Mars, um, a band that was also based in Düsseldorf, and uh, they um, I think they made a radio show and uh, you know at a very high, like classical or like a traditional radio I think WDR, and they put a denoiser on there. <laughs> on their, uh, output because they said there's so much like tickling and, and crackling and uh, you know but that was specifically uh, what they wanted to do so yeah <laughs> brilliant yeah, yeah yeah so in terms of line i mean what's interesting i've actually had the pleasure of interviewing dustin twice the first time was in 2016 i went i was in berlin mm -hmm. um and yeah this was the moment where so dustin was telling me about this film mm -hmm. line i was like oh, oh that sounds like a nice mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, not really obviously not realizing quite how much it was gonna explode um yeah did, you were just mentioning then were you did you say you were both the two of you were specifically approached yeah that film to work yeah. no we were actually it was uh i'm not sure if dustin was approached at the same time i remember i called him from melbourne after i met garth davis and said hey I, there's a guy who approached me um for the film would you be up for doing this together and he said oh i haven't heard i think he said i haven't heard from it uh, but i would love to do it so in a way we we were in a way at that time already thinking oh that would be wonderful to work together and of course um, that's also a journey to you know to figure out um how you work together and um, it needs a system a little bit. It needs, of course, piano um, film music is also a lot about organization um, because the, you have to be really um, on top of things all the time because um, the, the schedule of the filmmaking is always changing. And that's a completely yeah. different thing. Um, you know, you, you need in a way help as well from, from an assistant or, you know, you need, because, you can't do all the steps by yourself, so you need uh, you need support. And uh, I, we, we, the two of us, we uh, organized ourselves. Uh, he was in Los Angeles, 
and I was in Düsseldorf. And at some point I flew over to Los Angeles and then we worked there for, I think, a month um, or six weeks. And um, yeah, and we finished it. Wow. So was that Garth Davis was just a huge fan of the both of you and wanted yeah. you both? Yeah. Because mm. some people might look at your careers and think, well, they decided to work together. But it was very fortuitous, it seems like. Yeah, no, it was not that, um, you know, it was actually somebody who requested both of us. Um, yeah. We were never thinking about that. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny, I've spoken to Adam Wilkes here. He describes scoring films as torture, which is an interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I know. I know. I'm, uh, uh, and I think it's actually something, you know, uh, either you like it or you hate it or you do it very frequently. Or you do it, you know, like I'm, I love it um, in a way that I'm, you know, at the moment I'm mainly doing it, doing uh, scores and uh, mm. I'm planning another record. But I, I, you know, since 2001 or 2000, and actually 2004, I released nearly every year a record. Yeah. Yeah. So it needs a little bit of, uh, uh, like the, it needs a gap. <laughs> <laughs> Between oh, course, yeah. Dustin, how did you go about delegating the work, and yeah, how in terms of collaborating on on cues, or was it like you do this theme and I'll do this theme, or how did you go about it? Well, I mean, we we um, mostly we have a spotting session together with the director, and then after the spotting session, we sit down um, and we just pick in a way. Or, I mean, we've we've done now. Well, we've done line together, then we've done. Um, the current war, uh, yeah. the film that we've done, um, Christmas Carol for the BBC. Um, then we've done uh, the old guard and we recently have done Ammonite, uh, the film from Francis Lee. Hmm. So these are the ones that we've done together. And of course now we, the last two films, old guard and, um, Ammonite were done where, you know, we started in the time where there was no Corona. And now we, then we were going deeply into that zone. <laughs> and, um, then of course, suddenly the whole circumstances are changing and you are, uh, and we found out that we have a quite a nice system of working remotely. And there, for example, we shared, uh, we split it, the, the cues, uh, in the last films, we split it, the cues from the beginning. We said, why don't you do these? And I'm doing this, but we share. And whenever you feel like, oh no, I want to do this, 
then uh, you can take it and you know and say hey I'm, uh, I would love to work continue on this one um, and specifically when you are in different time zones it's fantastic because you you know you, you work on something you put it in the in the shared drive and then um, you know the the other one picks it up and continues and uh, in the when you wake up you just find a you know some gifts in your box (laughs) (laughs) and that's very nice and uh, as long as you are open to it and also uh, of course you you know you can also be not happy with it it's not always like oh it's fantastic it can also be like i don't think that this is the right direction but um you know it's always good to have i love actually to have a different pair of ears and a different a- approach uh, in the workflow mm. because that creates also a different um tension in in the work and i'm i like that a lot yeah, i mean it's honestly one of my favorite film scores um so i love the main theme mm-hmm. so did one of you in particular compose the main theme that ended up being used so much throughout the film well, yeah, well, I, I mean, the main theme we did together, I mean, we were, yeah. remember, we were sitting at the piano in Los Angeles, and, you know, there was maybe a, uh, there, there's one theme in the, um, in the film that is, uh, how is that called again? It's actually when the boy, the little boy is, um, you know, when he was in, um, walking into the wrong train and then he wakes yeah. he, he steps out of um the train into mumbai and then he he sits at the at the river i think it's called the river queue that mm. one and when he stands at the river that's a theme that is played with a harp but in a way the main theme is adapted to that theme because i remember when garth davis was listening to the river Q, he said, oh, I think that could be the main theme in a way. So we adapted that with a piano. So, Oh, that's amazing. I was going to say, I can sort of hear both your personalities in the main Mm -hmm. theme. I'd always wondered who actually sat. Yeah, it's a beautiful story that you just sat at the piano and it kind of came out. Yeah, it's actually very interesting because, of course, we are all in – you know, uh, caught up in our um, habits, you know. So yeah. whenever you write a, whenever I write a chord, um, pro- uh, a chord progression, there might be the next chord, and I'm like, yeah, but I've done that now. The last <laughs> time and the, the the time before that, I need something else. And then when somebody comes in and he says, yeah, but why don't you do it like this and this and this? And then you're like, oh, yeah, that works fantastically. You know, then you, of course, you learn something for yourself, um, but it's also a very fruitful um, uh, combination, you know. Amazing. When you were working on it, did you have the sense that it was going to take off the way it didn't be nominated for the Oscar and everything? Uh, no, I mean, we, we had no idea. Uh, I mean, we, we just saw the film and it was very strong. Um, before we started scoring, we were even thinking that it doesn't need mu- music. You know, really? beginning we just said, "I don't know, it's it's so strong already. <laughs> what can we do with music?" And then, of course, over the time we discussed and uh, 
we picked out uh, you know the, the specific parts um, and you can see a lot of times you know people are using our music um, of course and also the lion score for other films but in other films the music is not so much working because it's so direct mm. the pieces are so uh, they they are quite strong um, and they need a little bit of the of a film that can actually digest um, this, these strong pieces, um, you know, some films can only have maybe more textures or very fragile and very like sensitive music. Um, otherwise you destroy the, you know, the, the, the story and also maybe, uh, the picture in a way, you know, so you need, you need always to find the right level and, um, when uh, with uh, with Lion, we we just sensed it. I think we the first time we sensed it when it was had the premiere in Toronto, that you suddenly realized, oh, there is a lot of buzz, and there is a lot of people are that are interested in the film, and uh, it's already in the area where people are saying, "Have you seen Lion? Have you seen Lion?" So mm. like that, and of course, then you realize, okay, that can be something bigger but i had no i mean honestly i'm i have no i, I had no idea how that works <laughs> i just saw the authors uh, and uh, you know nominations in the newspaper or sometimes in the news you know so this question of <laughs> does this film need me i, I know johan johansson actually he's due to score the film mother with jennifer lawrence and he actually said to the director i don't think this needs I mean, that's such a huge case of taking your ego out of the film scoring, mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. And it's, it's great that you and Dustin are able to put the film before your own needs, I suppose. And obviously, rest in peace, Johan was able to do that with the film Mother. Yeah. The one that was released with no music. It just seems incredible. Yeah, I mean... Sort of you want your name to be in the credits and to be at the Oscars and everything, don't you? Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, he was a very specific uh, and very interesting person and with a lot of uh, wonderful ideas uh, and um, you know also the this documentary that he released uh, that was released now uh, after his death uh, is a really outstanding uh, documentary then that was I remember he was talking about that for a long time already when we you know met each other a couple of times he was always saying that he's you know that he's working on that documentary. So now it's released and it's really, really beautiful. And uh, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's actually sad that he's not there anymore. No, of course. Yeah, no. Incredible composer. Um, as we were saying, when we were chatting before, I was watching the film Summerland, and then I saw your name mm -hmm. in the credits and that's what made me want to go for the interview. But um, well, we said that's your most recent film. I think Ammonite is about to be released. Yeah, M well, Ammonite will be released in November, and uh, it's actually, I think it was, well, it was a part of the Cannes and uh, Toronto Film Festival, and uh, it has also, at least it gets also a lot of uh, praises, and, you know, you can actually, and it's, it's really, uh, it's a really beautiful film um, with Kate Winslet and Swazi Ronan, and it's a... Mm. It's a really uh, beautiful filmed and uh, told story. Um, and, you know, so that was, is coming out. It's the, the score is mostly 
like piano and strings and very, you know, very subtle. Um, and uh, Summerland, for example, was for me the first um, score where I felt, and then that's done by myself, uh, um, I was thinking I wanted to do a very, quite a traditional score in the sense of, you know, using only or orchestra and uh, recording with, like with woodwinds and brass and, uh, and getting a kind of sense for how it feels when you, you know, work with, for example, woodwinds, mel woodwind melodies or, um, so that was for me as well an experiment. Um, and I, I really loved it. Um, and, uh, specifically why, because I could work with Jeff Foster, who's, uh, you know, working at air studios and he's a, uh, a great, uh, sound engineer. And he helped me with that uh, quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, um, when I watched it, I've there's in the UK, you get quite a few of these sort of nice rural UK countryside films that are, you know, quite nice to look at and have a bit of a cute story, but yeah, <laughs> they don't really impact you too much. But Summerland really did um, much deeper subject matter and, you know, I really loved it. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I guess it's, uh, understanding now you do have this really strong connection of the UK. I, I'm assuming that really helped you compose the music for this film. Yeah. I mean, also, uh, of course, um, talking with uh, Jessica Swale, who is the director of the film, uh, and it's the, her first uh, film that she directed. This is always fantastic because it gives you as well a lot of, you know, you, there's a lot of ideas and freedom. And uh, at the same time, um, there's quite a strong opinion and everybody wants to make it, you know, really good. Um, so the, the, these films have always a very specific energy and, uh, I, I really, uh, loved actually the, um, you know, the, yeah, the, the idea that a, a boy is somehow, you know, um, taken away from his parents, uh, to the countryside to survive in a way the, the you know, getting out of the, the dangerous areas. Um, and, uh, and I thought the, the whole the whole film has so much depth that I um, I had the feeling I can yeah I can write something for it and uh, yeah I'm glad that I I didn't sound like I didn't sound too German too Kraftwerk <laughs> <laughs> yeah amazing too Wagnerian for a yes too <laughs> too straightforward or too yeah. like uh, how can I say it it's very, sometimes you know of course the the uh, when you look at uh, German compositions I really love the strictness and uh, yeah the kind of machine driven. Uh, uh, music, which I think sometimes, of course, fits uh, to the German character, but there's also, of course, the other character, which is not shown so much. <laughs> and yeah. so I, um, when I could do this film, I was uh, very happy to also, yeah, you know, you, you can in a way play differently um, with films like that, and I'm, I'm really appreciating that. Yeah, I mean, it needs a bit more of a Vaughan Williams touch than Richard Wagner or Beethoven. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, in fact, with Ammonite, my local independent cinema has an exclusive BFI screening this month, so I'm oh. really excited to try and check that out. But yeah, um, yeah, what can you tell us about Ammonite? That's with Dustin, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, what can you tell us about the film? I'm sure there's a huge hype around it because, of course, Kate Winslet and Sir Sharon are going to have a big pull with the audiences. Um, yeah, what can you tell us about the film? Yeah, well, it's um, um, it's a film about uh, a woman, uh, uh, Mary uh, Mary Anning, I think is her name, um, and she is the uh, she's the main character that was. Um, well, she, she found the fossils, uh, the first fossils. I think they are still in the British Museum. I think, um, from what yes. I from what I understand, um, and it was um, in around, I think, some somewhere around eighteen forty, fifty, something like that. I guess. Um, so, in a way, it's a it's a story about a very. Um, like a very strong woman that was already way uh, beyond her time in a way, in terms of, you know, uh, discovering things, being independent and all that. And uh, she has an affair with a, with a married woman um, and uh, called Charlotte uh, or Charlotte, Charlotte, that's how it's pronounced. And uh, yes, yeah. yeah. And um, what is very nice about that is that it, in a way, is very, very sensitively filmed by Francis Lee. I think he, he did a very uh, wonderful job by, you know, slowly building up the story. And you really can feel that there's always this kind of tension and excitement and at the same time you know of course there's there's a at that time the rules uh, the societies has a lot of more stronger rules uh, and to cross certain lines is always difficult and maybe at that time even dangerous you know um, which are in our time still are which is uh, unbelievable in a way yeah. but um uh you know it's the, the film is very very nicely told and um also the music has a lot of um very selective moments where um so it's not a, a film that is over you know where you have a lot a lot of music it has very very um delicate points where the music comes in and uh, the music um disappears so um, it was, uh, for Dustin and me, it was a really nice way of, um, you know, scoring a film because we had we could sit down with the scene and really precisely score it. And it was clear that it was done on a piano. So uh, we, we were throwing at each other, like, all sorts of piano ideas. And, um, um, and I think we found some, some very nice ones. Mm. No, very excited to see it. Um, obviously, we won't have time to go through all of your film and TV projects because there's quite a few. Yeah. Are there any particular highlights from your career? I mean, what else have I seen of yours? I did catch um, Gunpowder with Kit Harrington, the yeah. show about the gunpowder. Yeah. Guy Fawkes, of course. Um, again, watched it and then saw your name. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that, that, was, a, um, uh, that was a great uh, great experience. Um just because it was my first series in a way I've never done mm. a series before that and um, that was was great and I think maybe one highlight is for me uh, the film adrift maybe yeah because the that was also a very interesting story because it's mostly um, well it's mainly on the sea 
and it's only yep. two people uh, on the boat. Um, and I, I really felt that it, it is, has a very nice approach to it. Uh, also philosophically, it's uh, an interesting idea that somebody is constantly, you know, um, in, in communication with somebody who maybe left already the boat, <laughs> Uh, but she's hallucinating all the time. And, um, yeah, that was uh, for me as well, a highlight. And of course, also the production was a very well done production. And I had a lot of freedom to work with a big orchestra. And so that was very nice. Amazing. And, um, you and Dustin got to do Christmas carols together, which makes sense when you, uh, were you both approached for the old guard? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, since Lion, we some of the the directors asked directly for the two of us, mm. and sometimes they um, ask for me or for Dustin, and then you know it slowly um, feels like oh, we could do that together. Mm. Yeah. So and then the directors say, "Yeah, sounds good." And they <laughs> yeah, sometimes they say it sounds good. Sometimes they say, "No, no, no, I don't want to." <laughs> I don't. Really <laughs> I just want to work with one, or you know, yeah. it. It can always. It can happen both ways. So um, and I'm. Uh, I'm open to the idea, but I also think it's always important that when you feel like this is not a film for two composers, and that can happen because you feel sometimes there's not enough space. Or let's say the communication would be more difficult or let's say a film is, for example, German films, uh, it would be very difficult because also the language is sometimes um, the whole communication is in German. So that makes yeah. it much easier, you know, um, to, to do that. But I'm also not doing so much German films um, um, every now and then. So. Yeah. So with the old guy, did you guys raise your eyebrows at all? Because obviously you're best known for films like Lion, of course, and The Old God's very uh, action-packed. Was that yeah, must but, been an exciting challenge for you to do that? Uh, no, well, I was already doing, before that, I, I've done Hotel Mumbai, for example, which was a, a very action-driven, uh, dark uh, film about the, the terror attack in, um, in Mumbai on at the hotel there, um, right. the Taj Mahal Hotel, I think. And um, I've done, I mean, gunpowder, and uh, I've done in between between Old Guard and um, and Lion. I think my my feeling was that I'm much more heading towards action, and uh, you know that I would love to do whatever at some point, uh, maybe a Marvel movie or something like that, just because I'm interested in in doing things like that, uh, just crafting them. Um, it's not always only the um, the wish of you know making the most uh, critically acclaimed the best critically acclaimed film. Sometimes it can um, just be a film that has pure entertainment, mm. and I, I quite like that as well. Um, so I'm I'm switching maybe between those two, and um, of course a, a good action film has a different approach than. Uh, a film like Ammonite, for example, Ammonite is so, you know, introverted and uh, and sensitive. And um, for example, a film like Adrift has maybe both because you have a lot of uh, scenes where the the you know the boat gets into 
a storm and you need a lot of drumming and driving force. So with the old guard, um, I had the feeling that the, the two of us can handle that quite nicely because we, you know, we have both things that we can do. And I think Dust, for Dustin, it was as well a, a very nice challenge to work on something that has more drive and more like where you have actually have to work in a way like a big blockbuster. Um, and and mm. both had a, a lot of fun with that. Yeah, I'd, I would love for you to do a Marvel film. I'd be so excited to see how you would approach that. Have you given any thought to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I have the feeling <laughs> that people are enjoying the score of Old Guard and, uh, you know, especially the, I mean, the action and the fight scenes are, it was really nice to work with a rhythm in the picture. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit, I would say, I would compare it also with um, writing for animation movies, for example. Yeah. You know, I w yeah. Mm. Amazing. Are you okay for time, by the way? I just had a few, like two or three more yeah, questions. Yeah, if no, you're totally. All, if you're all, totally. yeah, 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 amazing. Yeah. I mean, in fact, like I mentioned, I met Dustin back in 2016, and I asked this question as a bit of a joke, but at that point he'd done quite a few films with the actress, Felicity Jones, and she had just been cast in um, the Star Wars Rogue One mm -hmm. film. So half jokingly, I said, did you ever think you might get asked to do that? And, and Dustin said, firstly, I'll let someone else rip off John Williams. And secondly, I don't think I'd ever get asked to do a film like that. But then you guys have done so many huge films since then that, I, yeah, something like yourself doing a Marvel film doesn't sound unrealistic at all. To me, which shows how far you guys have come in the world of film, I suppose. Yeah, well, you know, it's. Uh, I, I would say it's not about leveling. I think. Uh, I mean, of course, I, I I understand the difference between a intellectual, um, you know, um, a film with a with a fantastic script and a fantastic story, but I also consume sometimes films because I just. I'm just not, I don't want in the evening a very high intellectual story, <laughs> you know, I just sitting in a, in a, in my seat and I'm just watching somebody chasing somebody else. So there's uh, and I love it. So in a way for me, um, both things have a, a, a sense of existence and I'm, I want to be a part of both worlds. So in a way, I think, of course, it depends. Uh, you can have very badly uh, produced or very badly written um, uh, action films, for example. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you have to read the script and make sure that you really love it. Um, and there will be also films where you just think like, oh, no, I'm, I can't do this. But in a way, at the same time, um, when you read something, you never know if it, how it turns out. So yeah. it can be that you have a fantastic script and then the film is finished and you just think like, oh, I don't know. Um, that It can happen that the, the script is not matching the film in the end. And the other way around, you, you, hear, you read a very simple script and then you see the film and you're like, oh, that's fantastic. You know, so... Um, there's always a layer of uncertainty in it. Um, and, um, it's very, uh, important to make the right decision. So I think 
with the old guard, that was a very uh, nice move for, you know, was great for me and Dustin because we both mm. had the feeling the script is somehow different, but it's also a superhero movie, but it has a different uh, approach. It's not so... Well, it's not about um, monsters and, you know, big machines. It's more about guys that have uh, that live forever. So there was also mm. a philosophical um, element in it, which uh, we both liked. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. I'm similar. If I watch, I'll watch a film like Ammonite and really love it, but then part of me will be craving, you know, a silly superhero film where I can just switch off Yeah. <laughs> as well, which yeah, is it- the beautiful thing about film, really, having that variety. No, absolutely. And I, I also think, um, of course, I mean, when, you, when I write a, a, an own record um, for myself, I want it somehow has to match my my own taste. Uh, you know, I can't. You know, I'm I'm not a. Uh, I'm, maybe I'm not doing a very kitschy record. You know, I'm always maybe having a certain approach. But with films, I think it's different because films are functioning in all sorts of ways. Uh, you know, they are in a way like a book, but they are also like uh, listening to a radio play or going to the theater. They are also. Um, just pure entertainment um, where you go with friends and you just laugh. So there's a lot of um, like different um, attitudes behind it. And I really, I I feel I want to at least cover quite a a range of finding out what I really love before I'm starting to, um, yeah, to, to, uh, you know, to stress uh, uh, or I, I want to find a big variety. That's what I want. Um, so when I interviewed Dustin in 2016, I felt like I was interviewing Dustin O'Halloran, the solo artist composer. Mm-hmm. When I met him in London earlier this year, he was touring with Adam with a wing victory for the sun. And I, yeah, I felt more like I was interviewing Dustin, the film composer. And I, as a question, I said, listen, I didn't ever see you going so deeply into the world of film. I thought maybe you'd do the odd film, but then you'd keep doing your albums. And he said, I feel the same way. I just sort of got swept away. Is it a similar situation with you? Would you um, uh, kind of, but I wouldn't. Was always, um, I would say, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. So much. I'm, uh, you know, because I'm, and not that I'm saying that my first goal was always uh, being a film composer, um, but I was always, I was already doing music for a series when I was 18. Um, and I, you know, for a German crime series, and I was always interested in working with um, with other art forms in a way, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I I was not surprised of getting these offers, but I was surprised by the level of it, <laughs> you know. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, and and of course, um, in my case, and it's funny because. I think Dustin had already much more connections because he was also raised in in Hollywood or in Los yeah. Angeles. He had much more connection to people that were already doing, um, you know, films and music on uh, quite a high level. Where I came from, from the small village, I had hardly no connection with anyone uh that was doing films, you know, um, there was a, this one series was the only one connection that uh, I had at, you know, in that time, there was a very small little window that was opening and then it was closed again. So, um, 
that I suddenly, you know, doing so much films in a way is a surprise, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I was always also not pushing for it, but I, um, now I'm actually, I want to know more about it. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Can you sense a Hauschka period coming up in the near future? Maybe you'll yeah no i'm uh, i actually uh, well first of all i'm i'm working already on a well i'm i'm collecting new hauschka pieces mm. for the next record and i think the next record will be a really uh i would say a pure independent record uh with all the nastiness <laughs> yeah <laughs> that a record like that can have rather than uh you know, going too um, t too much into a big label mode where I'm releasing, you know, uh, too much mainstream. I'm I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, the nastiness that you can't put into a film. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm uh, I'm so happy to have the area of film music where I'm in a way, you know, I can't really. Let's say a film, a music like Summerland, I would never release as my own music, you know, because it's a complete yeah, of course. it's a complete different style. And if you look on my website, uh, you can see that in the in the middle of my website uh, there is a, a line, and on the one side it says Hauschka, and on the other side it says Volker Bertelmann. Hmm. Uh, so I try to um, detach a little bit the film music from my Hauschka um, part. Because initially you were doing scores as Hauschka, but then you decided to do it under your own name. Yeah, yeah. As well as all the compos as all the compositions, uh, you know, that I'm writing for orchestra or er everything where I'm not appearing as a performer. Um, yeah. I have the feeling that's in a way me as Volker Bertelmann, where I can, yeah. you know where I can actually uh, make compose music. And Hauschka is in a way for me the name for my experiments when I'm live performing with a piano. Yeah. So A Different Forest, that album you took a bit of a step away from the, well, I love that you used the word nastiness. Yeah. <laughs> so it's exciting to hear that there's some nastiness coming back for the next album. Do you, yeah. what, do, do you mean prepared piano and that sort of thing or? Yeah, and the, the prepared piano and also whatever, a lot of electronics, um, maybe some yeah. beats, uh, distortions, um, maybe no form, <laughs> uh, yeah. not too much melody. Uh, it, it's a little bit, um, I mean, the different forest was a step back because, of course, over the years I had, you know, I've, I had collected a lot of like, small little piano pieces um, without any preparations that I wrote when I was sitting at the piano. And um, whenever I wanted to give them a home, I already did <clears throat> one little extra record <clears throat> on my, um, on the label city slang where I, um, where I rec uh, released um, abandoned city and uh, um, what if these last records before a different forest and on uh, abandoned city that was in the first 2000 copies of the cd there was an extra cd so it was a double cd and on one of those um, there was uh, a little paper sleeve and it said i close my eyes 
and that was the uh, the record with just little unprepared piano pieces um and I, i you know i always loved these pieces but in a way i found out that you know with a different forest i felt i want to make uh, uh, like a proper record that is just um piano pieces where they are where the pure piano is standing in the foreground um but now i have the feeling that um, it can it should switch you know it sh it's it shouldn't be always like whatever pure piano or um piano and quartet uh, it can it should balance out in a way so my next record m will be definitely an experiment incredible do you have any idea when that might begin surfacing yeah for the general public yeah i think i'm um, i'm starting well i have already collected uh, pieces and i think during the next half year i will uh, at least finding the outline for the record so i think next year amazing um if you have time and if you're interested i'd love to ask do you have a studio there at home yeah i'd love to ask you a bit about just things like your speakers and sound card that you're using and that sort of thing mm-hmm Yeah, well, I mean, I'm uh, I'm using uh, uh, my monitors. I have different monitors. Yeah. Um, but my main uh, monitors are ATCs, mm -hmm. and um, you know, ATC twenty five. I think are they? Called? Yeah. And I have um, like an Apogee or Orion sound card. Mm. Uh, two of those. And then I have an outboard like preamps and you know delay, like distortions, delays, and some uh, analog stuff. I, I have a Nagra tape machine for slowing things down. Yeah, and uh, a Porta Studio. So I have a whole section of analog um, stuff that I'm using for taping and like retaping. Mm. Yeah. Do you use many digital plugins, or are you more of an analog sort of purist at all? Well, in uh, in this case of um, uh, soundtracks, it's yeah, of course. to use plugins at least for the layout period because you never know what's going to get used. And if you go too deep into the handcrafted uh, score, then you know it can happen that a lot of the work is. Uh, done for nothing uh, well there's never something done for nothing because you always uh, can use things but um mm. uh you know I'm, i'm in a way for layouting i'm using a lot of plugins yeah um yeah we, i'd love to hear some of them do you use people like waves and sound toys at all or? uh yeah 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 i'm using waves sound toys i'm using uh, f f um, all the um valhalla reverbs and oh, great. you know tap filter all these things um i'm well i'm using a lot of you know all, all the spitfire libraries for example which i yeah. love do you have any particular favorites from waves uh, so just people might be interested to hear um not not particular no i'm um i, I think actually um it's waves is actually something like is a a A company that I'm using, but I'm I think they are sometimes a little complicated to handle. Um, oh, really? In comparison to not not to handle, but they don't feel like 
very intuitive, <laughs> you know. There are other plugins that are very, very quick. You know, you can just see them and you know exactly what to do. Um, let's say, for example, like the EQ. I'm the Fab Filter EQ is fantastic. I, I uh, yeah, I use them uh, all the time because it's so. Uh, you just, you know, you just take the mouse and you just take the frequency and you just pull or push it and i know um i th i know that with waves it, that works as well but it has a lot of these parameters where i'm like what is that doing so i have to <laughs> i have to read more about it and uh, sometimes uh, it's there's not much much time for that yeah absolutely um yeah you mentioned so which spitfire guys to use because i'm i'm assuming someone like yourself you would use spitfire for the early demo stages before i'm sure you're very keen to eventually get real musicians in yeah i mean i i'm i'm of course getting real musicians in but um the the spitfire libraries they have a lot of that kind of touch to it that um is already showing the direction and i can also leave them in a lot of times we leave the the samples on top or with the real mm. sound in it or i mean i'm you know including uh, the library of my of the prepared piano that i did there which i yeah. use in a way for myself sometimes because i'm i'm not <laughs> not close to a piano um that is very helpful uh, of course i'm you know the olafur annals library is great and uh, the, especially the the string stuff um, the guy that did the other the, the string recordings um, i'm working with him with victor ori arnason i work with him a lot on um you know having him playing stuff for me so um or you know he's contact he has conducted a few scores of mine um and he's a lovely person so there is a lot of um connections to that whole group of you know of sound makers and uh, creators and i love actually the inspiration that people have to build you know sounds um mm. and it's not only about we have to replace the real uh the real thing you know it's more about there is a coexistence between the real orchestra and the sample library for example yeah i love the story that oliver originally pirated spitfire and they ended up asking him to do <laughs> a um toolkit but um it's wonderful to hear that it's not a case of thanks for the paycheck spitfire it sounds like it's really exciting for you guys to work with them and um produce a library it's very artistically interesting for you so. yeah i mean honestly uh, it's uh, i wouldn't be doing this if there is uh, you know if there is no um, ideal um idealistic reason for it because uh, of course i'm also giving away things of myself you know so um mm. in a way it needs to have people that are really keen on doing it in a proper way and i, I think um, they're you know there are for example one of the people that are doing this there is plenty of fantastic gear developers uh, that i really love i mean i'm also an extreme big fan of stomp boxes and i'm uh, you know I'm, because i'm using them with the piano and i'm you know i'm not collecting them but i'm these guys that are developing these own little you know worlds of sound uh, manipulators uh, 
uh, awesome. So, are you dedicating time at the moment, or the rest of the year, even to doing the Hauschka project, or are you still doing some films and television uh, at the same time? No, I'm doing both at the same time. I mean, I've, I've yeah. now uh, used the time of Corona for you know collecting a little bit of the stuff that I want to do next. Um, but um, the calendar is packed. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting just because Dustin seemed desperate to stop doing films briefly so he could finally do a new album, whereas are you able to do both at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I was always like that. <laughs> I was always doing things, uh, you know, uh, well, you know, normally you say w- women are only po- able to multitask but uh (laughs) (laughs) but i'm uh i can i can do multiple things at the same time and i love it because i think they are inspirational i uh, you know i um, one is triggering the other and jumping back and forth is has an opportunity and but i understand dustin's approach as well as well as others to just lock yourself up and just concentrate on on your recorded music. Mm. Mm. Incredible. Yeah. So in terms of plugging your project, so Summerland, the soundtrack's out, and obviously everyone should watch the film. And yeah, is Ammonite, will that get a score release quite soon, do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, well, with a, maybe with a movie release in November. We have already mastered the score, so I think, yeah, that will come in November. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, Volker, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to talk to you. Really excited. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a lovely day. You too. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.